This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Today's scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 2, 1 through 4, and verses 16 through 19. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. This is God's word. You may be seated. All right. So we're five weeks uh, into our current sermon uh, series on seeing and displaying Jesus, on beholding and becoming the gospel. And uh, from the foundation of 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 18, we're studying various passages throughout the scriptures today, a few verses from Colossians 2, and we're studying uh, these passages to prove that the Christian life is all about seeing and displaying Jesus. The Christian's existence uh, can be summarized uh, as experiencing uh, and expressing uh, the good news of Jesus. Uh, We are left on earth after God has begun his work of saving us. We're left on earth uh, to increasingly see more of Jesus uh, and all that he is for us. And we're also left on earth uh, to increasingly display Jesus to a world uh, in desperate need of his salvation. And so we've been saying now uh, for five weeks, including today, that there's a sequence to this seeing and displaying of Jesus, that there's a flow uh, to this beholding uh, and becoming And so the Bible will very clearly say uh, that Christians are both increasingly seeing Jesus and increasingly displaying Jesus uh, across their lives. But the Bible also teaches that this increase happens by way of sequence, that we display Jesus after we see Jesus, that seeing Jesus leads to displaying Jesus. And so I used a very simple illustration last week about uh, planning a camping trip uh, out west. And and if you're going to go out west and have a camping trip, you have to know in advance uh, where you're going to stop for the resources and the supplies that you need. Uh, Because once you get to some of the remote places in Colorado and Utah and Oregon, once you get there, you'll find that there are no grocery stores, uh, there are no gas stations, there are no restaurants. If you don't fill up with the resources you need prior to getting there, you will not have the energy you need uh, to make it through your trip. And so we said that in the same way, in order to have a reasonable chance to display Jesus, to have a reasonable chance to love, uh, to have a reasonable chance to serve others in our future, uh, uh, we have to see Jesus now. We have to enjoy the gospel prior to expressing the gospel. Uh, My daughter, Maddie, uh, I won't point at her even though I just did, um, (laughs) 
because I would embarrass her and she wouldn't want that. But uh, she, she gave me permission to not embarrass her, but she did give me uh, permission to actually tell you the story. Um, but Wednesday night, Thursday morning, uh, she was not feeling well. And we explored several hypotheses as to what might be wrong. And at the end of the day, it was just very simple. Uh, she did not have enough food and enough drink to go to her volleyball practice on Wednesday night and to expend the kind of energy uh, that she expended in that place. And so in the circumstances of her day, uh, we didn't give her the resource she, she needed uh, to exert the energy required. And, and so she had a sick stomach, she had a headache, she felt shaky. Uh, and once she got to that point, she wasn't really looking to eat or drink, although that's exactly what she needed uh, to move forward. And so we're like that. We have to see Jesus in order to display Jesus. We have to have a continual drip of his love or even a continual waterfall of his love into our lives to have any chance of giving his love to other people. And so last week we started this, what we're calling the mini series within the series where we're drilling down into the seeing Jesus side of the equation. You remember last week I told you that in this little mini series, we would ask and answer these questions. They're on the screen again behind me. Where can we go to regularly see Jesus? In what venues can we behold the gospel? What opportunities has God given us to help us grow in our capacity to see Jesus? Where can we practically go and practice seeing Jesus so the likelihood of us displaying him throughout our lives uh, is increased? I want to show you literally across months that this concept of seeing and displaying Jesus is throughout the entire uh, scriptures. Uh, I want to show you a portion from our city Bible reading this week, the Old Testament portion from the book of 2 Chronicles. I want to show you this idea that displaying comes from seeing and seeing comes from intentionality. I'll put it on the screen behind me. This is 2 Chronicles 12. We read the following about Rehoboam, Solomon's son. It says this, Rehoboam did evil for, since, because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. And so Rehoboam disadvantaged other people for his own advantage instead of disadvantaging himself for other people. And so the Bible says, in total, he was evil and not righteous. But if you just unpack that one verse and say, why did he do evil? The answer is not simply because he didn't seek the Lord. It's because he didn't set his heart or literally prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Displaying flows from seeing. Seeing flows from intentionality. And so we're in this mini-series within the series, and we're asking ourselves, how can we set our hearts to the seeking of the Lord? How can we prepare our hearts to, to, to seek after Jesus and his gospel on a regular basis? How can I keep feasting on the gospel that I might dispense the gospel uh, to others? And so last week, we looked at the topic of daily private worship. We looked at the book of Psalms, and if you'll recall, there are five times in the Psalter where it says that our souls are dry and thirsty and hungry every morning when we wake up. And five times in the Psalter, at least, we're told that at morning and that at dawn, we need to lift our souls up to God to be satisfied by his steadfast love. That if we don't, we will lift our souls up to a variety of false things through our day looking for life instead of living out of the life that God gives us in the gospel. Next week, we're going to look at uh, what we're doing now, uh, weekly public worship. We're going to talk about how this is a smorgasbord of grace. This is an incredible opportunity of concentrated grace for us to come together 
and, and to be energized for uh, our weeks in unique and special ways. But this morning, I want us to talk about ongoing gospel community. I want, us, I want us to see that we need to be more intentional about living our lives together uh, with gospel intentionality. Because if we don't, uh, we will not see Jesus as much as we possibly can. I think when I say daily private worship or quiet times, or when I say weekly public worship or what some might call going to church, I think when I say those things, we feel an instant need for them. Or we at least see the validity of them in the scriptures and we think, yes, that's a place where I can go and be fed. But I don't think, by and large, we realize our desperate need for one another. I don't think that we understand that we need one another as much as we need daily private worship and weekly public worship. It's a huge theme and a significant teaching in the scriptures. And so what I want to do for for two points, it's Father's Day, so I only made myself prepare two points. I want, I want to explore. I didn't tuck my shirt in for the same reason. I was so close to not shaving. I'm not a habitual shaver. I, I only shave when I have to. And uh, I was so close to not shaving, but I did this morning because uh, after all, I'm 39 years old. This is what I should do. So, so, so maybe I'll start being a habitual shaver. Maybe I'll hurt less if I shave more often. At any rate, Uh, Ongoing gospel community, two points. Here are the two points that I want to explore with you. I want to explore the idea that we not only need one another to see Jesus, but we also need to see Jesus for one another. We not only need one another to see Jesus, we, we need to see Jesus for one another. Okay, so first, we need one another to see Jesus. And I want you to know right off the bat, I am not discounting this week what I said last week. I am not saying that we are unable to see Jesus or we are unable to to behold the gospel when we're in our private times uh, with the Lord. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is this. I'm telling us something that our lives uh, will validate for us and something that the Bible will clearly teach to us, that there are times in our lives where we can't see Jesus on our own. And there are also uh, times in our lives where if we will live in in gospel community, we will see more of Jesus in our private times than if we're simply living uh, in isolation. And so I'm gonna prove this to you very clearly from Colossians chapter two. But before I do that, I I wanna just tell you three stories uh, that I experienced over the last month uh, to prove this point. They're not great stories. They're not riveting stories. They're just normal, ordinary life stories that will resonate, I believe, with your experience of gospel community, okay? So earlier this week, the Lord kept bringing to my mind uh, a particular friend when I was praying. You know, this will sometimes happen. You'll be praying, and God, for some reason, will just put someone on your mind and someone on your heart. And so on Wednesday, after three days of God doing this, I'm not stubborn or anything, uh, on Wednesday, I, I, I sent my friend a text, and it was just very vague. I was like, how are you doing? I just want you to know that I'm praying for you. I forgot about it. 24 hours later, he responds, fine, thanks for asking. And so I I responded right away, very vaguely, hey, what's going on in your world? Uh, He responded 24 hours later, uh, feeling melancholy. And so... I'm not the most intuitive person, but I realized texting was not gonna work uh, at this point. And so I switched from texting to calling and I called him a couple of times and I left a message and I said, hey, you may not know this. There's something wrong with your phone. Uh, Your messages are coming back 24 hours later. (laughs) 
I'll call you later, okay? I call him later. He finally picks up the phone. We have a 15-minute conversation on my way to pick up pizza Friday night and take it back to the house. In short, he was discouraged about the circumstances of his life. These are his words. I'm wondering if God cares about me. I'm wondering if God's paying attention to me. I'm wondering if God knows the deep desires that I have in my heart regarding my circumstances and the future. We begin to talk, we begin to dialogue. And in truth, if you had a manuscript of that conversation, you would see he talked way more than I did. Once I got him going, he began to speak to himself in very positive and redemptive ways. In that conversation, we discussed the gospel of Jesus. We talked about the fact that God meets our deepest need and our deepest desire in Jesus. We talked about the fact that God promises that if he does not spare his own son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We we talked about the fact that if God is all wise and all loving and all powerful, something I learned in Sunday school in the second grade, if he is all of those things, either he will in his timing give my friend new desires or he will in his timing meet my friend's desires. 15 to 20 minutes. Friday night, my friend texts me and he says, I'm really thankful for you. I want you to know I'm very, and he used the word, encouraged. Courage was poured into his being. In a 15 to 20 minute conversation, we were able to see Jesus together in a way that my friend could not see him or would not see him in four to five days. That's ordinary in gospel community. My friend, by the way, is a pastor of a very large church in another part of the country. Usually when we talk, it's him encouraging me, not me encouraging him. I listen to his sermons online. He faithfully and beautifully preaches Jesus every Sunday. And me, along with thousands of listeners, can see Jesus through his sermons. But that does not remove him from the need of needing me to be encouraged in the gospel. We need one another to see Jesus. Uh, Second, I just happened to ask another friend last week how she was doing, and she said, great. And I want to be doing great, so I said, why? How? And she told me, she said, recently I spent time with a friend. I had lunch with a friend, a new friend, actually, uh, for my community group. And by that, she meant about a year. And she said that that friend uh, helped me uh, to see God's powerful work in my life. And that has really helped me enjoy uh, this week. And I, I said to her, I said, tell me more. She said, well, I've really been lacking assurance. Assurance is a biblical word for doubt as to whether or not God loves us. And she said, based on besetting sins, so by that, a sin she kept committing that she didn't want to uh, to commit, a a sin that she wanted to stop. Based on this besetting sin, she was wondering if she was ever saved in the first place. She she was telling her friend about this discouragement uh, that she was feeling. She was telling this friend about this, this doubt that she was feeling. And this friend just stopped her and said, I have to tell you, I've known you for a year and you're a radically different person than you were a year ago. And I also have to tell you that when I knew you a year ago, you didn't care about this besetting sin. And now you do. And not only do you care about it, you're starting to hate it. And not only that, you really are getting to the point where you don't want to do it anymore. And her sister in Christ just said, listen, that is proof that God is saving you. You can trust him and his promises because I can bear witness to his work in your life. My friend had gone a couple of months 
wondering quietly if God loved her. And in 60 minutes, a sister in Christ brought her out of the depths of despair and into joy. Friends, we need one another to see Jesus. Third, how many times have I participated in city Bible reading on a Thursday morning? How many times have I had a great time on a Thursday morning? How many times did I think, well, I've experienced all there is to experience in this passage? Only that night to go to my community group and hear incredible insights into the passage and incredible insights into the gospel from people who saw it from a different perspective compared to me. I cannot tell you how many times I will see something through my friends that I already knew and how many times I will see something that I had never known through my friends. I am not proud of my education and my experience. I'm just saying I've been in the business for a while. And if insights into the gospel elude me in a chapter of the Bible for a couple of hours in the morning and those insights are given to me by sisters and brothers in Christ, I too need you to see Jesus. Look at the screen behind me. I'm gonna show you this very clearly in Colossians chapter two. Go ahead and, and put this up there if you would. I think, oh, sorry friend. I messed the slides up. Can you go back to the one that says, uh, keep going? Thank you. All right, listen to this. When it comes to encouragement in the gospel's promises, when it comes to assurance in God's salvation, when it comes to insights into Christ, the mystery of God, we need one another in order to see Jesus. Get out your worship folder inserts. I wanna look at Colossians chapter two with you. Uh, I'm not going to unpack all these verses. In fact, I'm only gonna look at a couple of the verses. I just wanted you in the scripture reading to be reminded of the context of these verses. If you would, look at, look at verse one. This is Paul writing. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. And so in the book of Colossians, Paul is writing the saints in Colossae and he makes it clear in this epistle that he wants to have this letter passed around uh, to the other churches in the region. And he also says in chapter four, make sure you read the letter that I wrote to others as well. And, and so in this, in this first verse of chapter two, Paul says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for all of you. And so struggle is a word that Paul uses in his epistles uh, to describe prayer. Remember, he says the battle is not against flesh and blood. And so he uses a word for fighting and struggling and wrestling when talking about prayer. And so, for example, uh, in chapter four, uh, when Paul is writing about a man named Epaphras, he says he's always struggling. And he literally says this on your behalf in his prayers. And so Paul's talking about prayer. And he says in verse one, I'm engaged in this prayer battle for you and, and for people I've never even seen face to face. And then in verse two, Paul tells them what he's praying. Now I need you to pay attention. Uh, this verse is not particularly easy to understand in the way it's been translated into the English. He says this, he's been praying that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. 
Commentators aren't exactly sure how all these Greek words and these Greek phrases fit together. Paul is clearly excited when he's, re, when he, when he's writing uh, these verses. And so if you check various translations for Colossians 2.2, you're going to see a lot of different ideas on how to render this, and all of them are going to sound pretty awkward uh, in the English. And so if you'll look at it, uh, you can see that it's clear that Paul desires several things for these Colossians. And it's also clear from the passage that Paul knows how these things will happen. It's hard to understand what he wants for them, how it will happen with precision. But it's easy to understand how his desires will will come to them, how his desires will come about in them. And so commentators will argue about these three things that Paul wants and how they all fit together logically. But all the commentators agree that these three things come to us by virtue of one thing. This is what he wants. First, he wants their hearts to be encouraged. Second, he wants them to reach all the riches of full assurance. Third, he wants them to have understanding. It's the word for insight into the gospel. Sound familiar? He wants them to be encouraged, to have assurance, to grow in understanding. And while Paul is not real clear about how all those things happen together, he's very clear as to how they come about. Very simply, very simply from a grammatical perspective, Paul says all of these realities happen when you are being knit together in love. He's talking about their hearts. How are we encouraged in our hearts? It's passive. It's when we're being knit together in love. How are we brought to full assurance? By God knitting us together in sacrificial relationships. How do we gain insights into Christ? By God knitting us together in gospel community. Like a pastor who needed a friend to help him see Jesus so that he could be encouraged. Like a sister who needed another sister to help her gain assurance in the gospel. Like me needing my community group to garner more insight into God's word and into the mystery of Christ. We need one another to see Jesus. We talk a lot at New City about the fact that we are a means of grace to one another. We frequently talk about the fact that the Bible assumes that God grows us through the context of relationship with one another. The Bible presumes this all over the place, but the Bible also gives passages like Colossians 2 that specifically teach this reality. Look down at verse 19 of chapter 2. Chapter 2 of Colossians is all about how we grow as Christians. It's all about how we experience sanctification. And just like the book of Galatians, in the book of Colossians, Paul doesn't just proactively teach his theology, but he also uh, uh, argues against and reacts against the theology of the false teachers that are evidently in this geographic region. And so in verses 8 through 18, we read it this week in City Bible Reading. In verses 8 through 18, we, we can remember that Paul is telling them, he's saying, don't follow and don't learn from these various teachers and leaders who teach certain things. And in verse 19, it it starts out sort of awkward for us picking up in the middle of 19, but he's saying, don't follow and don't learn from anyone who is, quote, not holding fast to the head. And so by that, we can understand that Paul's teaching is that we do grow by holding fast to the head. And he has already said in chapter one, two times that the head of the body, the head of the church is Jesus. 
And Paul is saying you don't grow through legalistic effort and you don't grow through ecstatic experience. You grow by grabbing a hold of Jesus and never letting go of him. Keep reading. From whom the whole body, nourished and knit together. Same word as verse 2. Nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Paul, in four or five epistles, says that the church is a body. And in other passages, he will talk about our diversity. In other passages, he'll talk about how we have unique gifts and how we need one another uh, to function as one body. But in this passage, he says we have this in common. We all hold fast to Jesus in order to grow. And then he said, God grows us and nourishes us through the connections we have with one another. We grow with a growth that comes from God. And he said, that growth happens through the connections, the joints and the ligaments we have with one another. Do you see that? It's good news that you and I can grow by holding fast to the head. That's why we go and have private worship. But it's also true that there are certain things we can't see apart from one another. It's also true that there are certain places that we can't grow without deep and committed and connected relationship to one another. And so if you're discouraged, if you're doubting, if you're feeling confused, Paul says, sometimes you need each other to see Jesus. But secondly, Paul says, Sometimes we need to see Jesus for one another. Sometimes we need to see Jesus for one another. Now, this has been implied all along. This is just the other side of the coin. But think about it with me. If I need you to help me see Jesus, I need you to see Jesus for me until I can see him. In other words, if I can't see Jesus and you can't see Jesus, uh, if we're both doubting the gospel, then together we have very little chance of actually seeing him. Jesus said, that's like the blind leading the blind. But if I can't see Jesus at a particular time and you can see Jesus at that time, I have found it to be true in my life. Usually the light of your faith will dispel the darkness of my doubt. And so not only do we need one another to see Jesus, this It would reason, it would follow, it would be logical to also say we also need to see Jesus for one another. Whether we like it or not, the Bible could not be more clear. We have a significant impact on one another. Whether we like it or not, the Bible could not be more clear. Our ability to see Jesus for one another, our ability to believe the gospel for one another is profoundly impactful to our lives. Whether we like it or not, I want you to know that we already presume that this is true. I want you to think about this with me. You're you're feeling led by God uh, to send an email to some friends to tell them that you're entering into a day where you know that it's going to be fraught with certain temptations. And you say to them in the email, uh, X is happening today. I could really use your prayers that I wouldn't do Y in this day. We call that repenting forward. We call that looking into the future and saying, without God's help, I'm going to blow it. And so the Lord leads you to reach out to people and have them pray for you. Who do you send the email to? Do you send the email to non-Christians who don't pray? Do you send the email uh, to believing friends who pray, but those who pray out of some sense of guilt uh, with lots of doubt? 
Or do you think of the person who might actually pray for you who prays full of faith and full of hope? You just intuitively send it to the person uh, that you know believes that what they're praying can come true and trust that God can have an impact in your life. And my point is this, even by how we're living our lives right now, we believe that the faith of another person, we believe another person's ability to see Jesus with their spiritual eyes can have a massive impact on our day and on our life and on our relationships. If not, there's no reason to ask them to pray. Sometimes we need to see Jesus for each other. Look back at Colossians chapter two, verse one. What is Paul doing? He says, I'm having a great struggle. He's like, I'm engaged in this great prayer battle. I'm praying for people miles away and I'm praying for people I've never met. Why? He already said in chapter one, he completely believes that God will continue to move the kingdom forward through the gospel in these regions. Why is he praying? Because he believes that his ability to see Jesus and his ability to believe the gospel for other people would have a positive impact on those other people's lives. If our theology is primarily we change ourselves, if, our theology, if my theology for you is that you primarily change yourself, prayer may be a valuable tool, but it is not the most important or the most effective tool I have in loving you. But if I line myself up with the Bible, if I line myself up with Colossians 2.19, and if I fundamentally believe that God grows you and God changes you, then the first order of business in my relationship with you is prayer. Because my faithful, believing, hopeful prayer is the most powerful impact I can have on your life. You need me to see Jesus before you see Jesus. And sometimes I need you to see Jesus before I see Jesus. What did Jesus' brother James write in the fifth chapter of his epistle? I believe it's verse 16. He said, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so James doesn't mean by this that only really good people, only really righteous people have powerful prayers. I mean, think about the verse. At the beginning of the verse, he said, confess your sins to one another. He's presuming that we're all sinful and that we're all sinning. And yet, how can the prayers of a sinful person be the prayers of a righteous person? Because James knows what the rest of the Bible teaches. It's what he talked about in chapter one and chapter two. That we're not righteous because we're obedient. We're righteous because we believe in Jesus. And because he died on the cross after living a perfectly life, we're, we're counted righteous in God's sight and we enter into prayer in his name. And it's not because we're sinning or obeying that God hears us. He hears us because we're praying in the name of Jesus. And Paul, or excuse me, James is saying in this passage, when one sinner in the name of Jesus will pray for another sinner, there is great power in that prayer. Sometimes we need each other to see Jesus and sometimes we need to see Jesus for each other. I'm telling you, this is an incredibly hard thing for individualistic Americans to believe and to live out. We like the sound of community. We like the sound of living our lives together, but we don't like the sound of dependent living with one another. We don't like to need one another. But the Bible is clear. 
there will be places where I cannot grow and places I cannot go and, and, and visions of Jesus that I cannot have apart from you and you apart from me. If you would, I want you to look back to the story in Luke chapter five. We used it as our call to worship. It's on the front of your worship folder. Luke 5, 17 to 26 is the story of Jesus in a packed house teaching professional teachers. Mark, when he tells the story in the second chapter of his gospel, he makes it sound like people are billowing out of the house because it's so full. In verse 18, Luke tells us of some men. Mark provides the detail that it's four men. Luke tells us that the men were, quote, seeking to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus, presumably for healing. That's probably why Mark said the power was with him to heal. And by the way that that Luke uses grammar and by the way he uses literary technique, he is creating this distinction between the friends, between the four and the paralytic, between the four and the one. And he has set up this distinction with them two on opposite sides. And he says in verse 18 that the friend's objective was to get their paralyzed friend before Jesus. It says that in verse 18 and verse 19. They're just like, all we can do is get him in front of Jesus. And as we keep reading, we see that these four men were unable to get to him again because the house was so full. And so they go up on the roof and they cut a hole in the roof and they lower this man right in front of Jesus so that Jesus cannot possibly ignore him. Look at verse 20. Here's the crucial point I want to make. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now this episode in Jesus' life is told in Matthew and Mark. And in all the gospels, it's clear it wasn't the faith of the man that Jesus responded to in giving him forgiveness and healing It was the faith of his friends that Jesus responded to to give him healing and forgiveness. I don't want to minimize the need for personal faith. I don't want to minimize the need uh, for our own personal trusting relationship with Jesus for forgiveness and for healing. I don't want to minimize that. If you look at verse 25 of this story, you can see that Luke wants you to know that this man responded to Jesus in faith and in worship and in gratitude. You won't find a person being saved by God who lacks personal faith. So I don't want to diminish the need for our own personal faith. But I also don't want to diminish the need for and the power of and the beauty in a communal faith. And when he saw their faith, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. Sometimes we need each other to see Jesus. And sometimes we need to see Jesus for each other. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for how amazing you are. That the salvation that you have given us is so powerful and rich and full and extravagant that even in my doubts, my believing friends can bring your blessing to my life. I thank you for how you remind us each and every week that this salvation is ultimately about you and not about us. We thank you for the rest and the peace and the hope and the joy that just comes from seeing that fundamentally you grow us, you save us, you renew us, you transform us. How brilliant of you 
to do this through our friends, that we might be humbled in what we bring to the equation. God, we know that your scriptures say that this city will come to you and worship you when it sees us loving one another. We know that you have said that this city will believe your gospel when we live sacrificial lives with and for each other. Would you continue to teach us about community? Would you continue to teach us about seeing you uh, in community? In the name of Jesus, we pray as righteous men and women.